Hello, this is Saul Gonzalez, lead pastor of Lifehouse Church, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so very much for joining us today. I believe that through this message, God will encourage you, challenge you, and better yet, change you for the glory of God and for the purposes God has called you. Enjoy this message. Hello and God bless you and welcome to Lifehouse. Welcome to our online service. For those of you that are joining us, thank you and welcome. I pray that this ministry, this message today would encourage you in Jesus' name as God has called this church to lead thousands of people to know God, grow together, and go serve. He has called us to do a five-fold focus and that's to reach the lost, retain the next generation, disciple the believer. Number four, equip and empower emerging leaders. And then number five, God has called this church to plant churches, to grow by multiplying. In Jesus' name, we thank you for your prayers. And I pray that this message to everyone here will be spiritual, will be powerful, will be personal. In Jesus' name. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse, beginning with verse 17 um, we, today we start a new series that we've entitled Hope Over Chaos. Hope Over Chaos. And uh, I think it would be just not, um, um, it would be not necessary to say that today and during this time where COVID has pretty much uh, changed the world. Um, it has changed the world. The way we see things, the way we appreciate um, uh, the world. Um, the, the world has changed. Uh, organizations have changed Businesses have changed. Governments have shifted uh, to a different mindset. Um, the church has changed. And uh, as evidence as we are trying to build back and start again with in-person services that hopefully can minister more uniquely and appropriately to everyone's life. But there is still a sense that there's chaos. Chaos is when there's disorder. When nothing makes sense, chaos is defined by, by a disorderly or by disorder and by the lack of organization in an environment or in a relationship or in a situation where there is no order, where there's a lack of synchronicity, you can't add two and two, it doesn't make sense, things are upside down and, and things are like you can't find your grip or your traction. And in a world of chaos, a hope still trumps chaos. There, hope reigns, the, the hope of the gospel, the hope that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and Hope Over Chaos is our new series. And we're going to be um, identifying the different personalities uh, uh, like Peter the denier, um, uh, John the devoted, uh, Mary the mother of Christ on the cross uh, where, where his son was being crucified, uh, Mary the devastated, and, and emotions that a lot of us can identify with uh, and uh, along with uh, Thomas the doubter. And all along, Jesus is there in every scene providing hope. Uh, Jesus, the deliverer. And so we're going to be using these different personalities. Today, I'm going to be focusing on Judas, the deceiver. Judas, the deceiver. And the title is Judas, the deceiver, so close and yet so far. So close and yet so far. And that's, that could be very much all of us. In one way or the other, Judas just becomes the poster boy of being so close and yet so far. But just because you come to a church or just because you call yourself a Christian or perhaps you've had a relationship or a, an experience where you know you're saved does not necessarily mean that you're not deceiving yourself, that there isn't elements around you in your heart, uh, in your relationships, or the way you begin to talk and walk and comport yourself, that there isn't already deception creeping in and undermining 
the blessings, undermining God's life, undermining God's plan for your life, and that we are willing participants uh, because just because there's a, a lack or a delay in punishment, uh, do not confuse God's approval. Um, just if you're living a jar, uh, if you are living a separate or distant from God's plan, uh, the fact that you have not perhaps felt any kind of a punitive uh, reaction from God doesn't mean that he approves. It just means that God is patient. That's all it means is that God is waiting, that God is patient, that God is waiting for you to get your act together. Maybe for God is waiting for you to listen to a message like today, uh, for you to say, oh, oh, I hear it. I feel convicted. I fear God. I love God. And there's no way I'm going to let my, my reactions or my actions, my heart, my attitudes uh, begin to just walk uh, separately, differently, on a different path, on a different uh, landscape altogether, or a different um, you know, way or road that, that what God has for you today. Um, I want to begin in Mark chapter 14. Let's read uh, the story of Judas here and his interplay and interaction with Jesus. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you, one of you will betray me one who is sitting with me. Look at the, the uh, scene that this is the last supper uh, that Jesus had here on earth. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you who is eating with me. In other words, you're here around this table. Verse 19, they were saddened. And one by one, they said to him, surely you don't think, uh, uh, you don't think, uh, um, you don't think or that it means me. You don't think it's me. Uh, surely you don't think it's me or it couldn't be me. Verse 20, one, uh, one, it is one of the 12, Jesus says. It is one of the 12, just to be more specific. And he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The son of man will go just as it, as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. Woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. It would be better for that person who betrays God because in essence, they are betraying their soul. It is better for that person not to have been born. Verse 41, uh, Jesus is in Gethsemane. He has finished praying. He's finished agonizing. Judas is on his way with soldiers, Roman soldiers and the Sanhedrin to arrest him. And Jesus says in verse 41, enough, he says, He's talking to Peter, James, and John. Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And then verse 42, he says, rise, let's, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. Here comes the betrayer. I want to use these notes to introduce Judas, the betrayer or the deceiver. Verse 44, you don't have it there in your scripture or there before you, but verse 44 says, now the betrayer has arranged a signal, had arranged a signal to the soldiers and to the Sanhedrin. The signal would be that one kid, that the one I kiss, Judah says, the one I kiss uh, is the man, is the man you want. Arrest him and lead him under guard. Look at Judas, how afraid he was. The one I kiss, that's the man. You need to arrest him. Uh, and lead him away under guard. There's another scripture in, in Matthew that says, tie him, bind him, and take him under, under guard. 
verse 45 says that going at once Jesus, uh, going at once to Jesus, uh, Judah said, Rabbi, as he approached him, and he kissed him. Um, and the men seized and arrested Jesus. Judas Iscariot is perhaps the most reviled, scapegoated, misunderstood personalities in all of scripture. He betrayed the Lord with a kiss and, with, and gave explicit instructions to arrest him, bind him, and then lead him away under guard. That's pretty bodacious. That's audacious for anyone that happened to have walked with Jesus three and a half years. For anyone who had seen his incredible power, uh, his majesty, his, his, his uh, authority, his love for the poor, for the sick, his power to heal, and I will talk about the four signature miracles that Jesus did that should be enough to, for the worst cynic, the, bur- the worst critic, to understand that Jesus is no rabbi. He's not a mere preacher or a mere religious figure. Jesus is God. There are four miracles that prove that he's God. Nothing, no one other than God could have performed the type of miracles, and yet miracles were not enough they are still not enough to change your heart. A lot of people say, Pastor, God, if you only do a miracle, I'll believe. That's not true. Uh, your heart and my heart could be much, much more deceptive. As a matter of fact, it is. It cannot be trusted. Uh, just ask Judas, after three and a half years of hearing the most powerful sermons, seeing the most incredible acts of wonder and miracles um, and, um, and divine supernatural acts, uh, he was unchanged. Uh, unconvinced, uh, unwilling to yield and uh, to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. As a matter of fact, Judas is the only or the apostle that, that never called Jesus Lord. Even while they're sitting around uh, the table, the Last Supper, everyone, Lord, is it I? If you look at Luke, if you look at Matthew, the different people are calling Jesus Lord. Is it me? Or it cannot, it shouldn't be I, Lord. And Matthew calls, uh, and Judas calls Uh, Jesus, he calls him rabbi, even there, rabbi, teacher. He refused to call him Lord. And at least, and that's the one way that perhaps he was not a hypocrite. Uh, A lot of us could call Jesus Lord. As a matter of fact, scripture says in that day when we are called to give an account, many, many will cry and say, Lord, Lord, look at what I did. Look at how I ministered or look at the different things that I carried out in your name and the, the response, sadly, on that day for many, many of Christians is going to be, depart from me, worker of iniquity, I never knew you. I did not know you. Uh, there was never a, a relationship that was intimate and personal between you and God. It's interesting that Judas betrayed him with a kiss. See, Judas did not stab our Lord uh, with a proverbial knife in the back. He didn't do that. Uh, he did it with a surreptitious kiss right in the face. So he did it with a kiss versus a knife in the back. Uh, Besides the incredible irony and the deep, dark hypocrisy of a kiss, it was a way for Judas to identify to the soldiers that probably may not have ever seen Judas and some of the Sanhedrin. It was a way to identify this is the person. The person I kiss, don't get them confused with Peter, with John, or with the other folks. They might have looked similarly, uh, and he didn't want to risk. uh, He wanted to identify them for certain from the others to ensure that Jesus did not slip away like he had done on several other occasions when the crowds or other people tried to arrest him. His authority, his aura, uh, or, or his ability to just walk through crowds and, and disappear and was, was famous 
Judas had witnessed this, and so he wanted to make sure the man I kiss, that's the person, uh, bind him, arrest him, and make sure you take him under guard. Don't let him escape. That was the fear that Judas carried, for he knew the prowess, the power of God, of Christ Jesus, but he did not know his heart. He did not know that Jesus would already yield it, that Jesus had already prayed in, in Gethsemane. He already sweated, had sweat bloods of, 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 of uh, blood. He had already prayed for the, the moment. He was already, his face was already um, in the direction of the cross. It's, iron, um, it's um, ironic and perhaps just a footnote here that this is like in the wee hours of Friday morning. This is after the supper He's in Gethsemane, he's praying, he's weeping, or he's, uh, he's agonizing. Uh, Peter, John, and James are sleeping. Jesus has this interlude with them saying, guys, can't you just hang in there with me? Uh, don't you know the gravity of the moment? And I believe that a lot of us don't know the gravity of the moment. I believe that your spiritual and my spiritual discernment sometimes is we're so caught up in your own slumber, in your own sleep, in your own details, or in your own life that God is calling you for communion. Christ is calling you to spend time with him, praying and, and just being in his presence. And most of us are nonplussed. We are, we are, uh, in, um, um, we are not in tune. Uh, we are indifferent with the Christ that wants fellowship. And uh, you know the story that, that he, three times he, he um, invited them to, to be part, to stay there with them, to be vigilant, to watch and pray lest you succumb to temptation uh, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But, but they, they were not receptive, but Christ was already, um, you know, I think it's really important. Um, this is besides the note and, or the, 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 the message, but I think it's important. Um, it might be said someday, Peter might've thought, John might've thought, hey, it was I, the one that helped Jesus through that moment. It was me praying with him that helped him through that moment. The truth of, the, of, the, of the, the, why, the reason Jesus is saying this is not to uh, put blame on, Judah, on um, John and James and uh, Peter. He's not trying to make them look bad. In essence, he's trying to say that even though they failed, they failed to be with him, that at the end of the day, redemption was all on Jesus. Redemption was his work. It was, it was not a co-work. It was not, they, hey, they helped me through that moment. They stood with me all night. No, it's just to prove that you and I will fall short every time or a lot of times, and Jesus will still do what he needs to do. Jesus will still accomplish the work that he wants and he needs to accomplish. How many say amen? Uh, so with or without you, but Jesus is inviting us to be uh, with him in this process. I want to just talk a little bit about the kiss, about the betrayal of the Judas kiss. The Judas kiss uh, the betrayal. Uh, for Judas, it was high stakes, do or, do or die. Middle of the night, all or nothing, treason. The Greek word that is used there is, is katafileo. Katafileo means an intimate or a fervent kiss uh, uh, from an intimate person or from a familiar one. An int or an intimate kiss from a familiar person that was given fervently. It was not just a peck, it was a, a kiss. It was a smack right on the cheek letting them know this is the guy. And then in, in um, Luke um, chapter 22, Jesus asks uh, Judas, Judas, is this how you betray the son of man with a kiss? I'll say that again. Is this how you betray the son of man with a kiss? Why a kiss? Why not point him out? 
You know, why not say, here he is? Why not a hug? Why does it have to be something that is so uh, connected to an intimate uh, or a moment or from something that means something more? Let me just share with you why a kiss uh, to point out Judah's mindset, intentions, and audacity. Uh, back then in the Middle East and during that time and still today, slaves kiss uh, their, their masters on their feet. That is, that is a position of most uh, just, just subordination, if you will. It is, it is your, the lowliest kind of person that recognizes uh, the august or the level of somebody else who's a master. They kiss the feet. Subordinate, somebody that was subordinate to a royalty uh, or in workplace or in society would kiss their supervisors or their superiors in the hand. It was very customary to go to somebody that, that was a superior or a supervisor and kiss their hand as a sign, as a symbol, a public message to everybody, you are the supervisor, you are the superior, and I am your subordinate. Equals would kiss, in each, would kiss the cheek. Equals would kiss the cheek. It was a sign of mutual respect, of honor, and brotherly affection. Um, it was a, a public, when it was kissed, when the kiss was in public, it was to sing, signal to everyone present watching, uh, let it be known that the person I kiss uh, is my friend. Let it be known that I wish to honor him and everybody. If I kiss this person, we're together. He's not my enemy. And that is a way to legitimize. And sometimes when there was tension, sometimes when there was just issues going on, the person that would go and approach the other person and, and peck them or kiss them in the cheek was saying, I'm good. We're friends. I honor you. I respect you. Uh, you are legitimate. And everybody that would see the, that moment would lower their guard because they realized that the kiss of, of, of affection, of confidence, of trust, had been exchanged between two equals. The audacity of, of Judas to take uh, that kiss. He knew what it meant. He knew the symbolism. Jesus knew what it meant as well. Why a kiss? Again, it is a symbol of intimacy between couples. Couples kiss usually on the lips or on the cheeks to say, hey, we're good. I love you. Uh, a kiss is very meaningful. It's very personal until it's not, until somebody that uses a kiss incorrectly uh, because they are in relationships that are not uh, legitimized by God. And so a kiss would also, between people, again, it's a mutual respect between equals, honor, brotherly love, and affection. I want to just dwell a little bit more on the kiss here because it was Jesus' way when Judas kissed him and he says, this is the way, is this the way you betray the Son of Man? Is this the way? Are you sure you want to use this as, as the modality, as the uh, transaction? This is how you transaction my life uh, and you give it up uh, and you give up my life with a kiss. So Jesus, uh, one of the reasons up there, if you're, if you're helping me, is number one, Jesus wanted to model the right response uh, to betrayal. Jesus wanted to model the right response to betrayal so that each of us would know that Jesus too was betrayed in the most despicable and hypocritical way and if he could take it and not engage in playing the victim, Jesus did not play the victim, nor did he pursue some sort of vindictive eye for an eye trope. Uh, you and I can also man up and act like Jesus when somebody betrays you in such a way. The kiss was also to fulfill scripture. In Psalm 41 verse 9, David says, even my own familiar, my intimate friend whom I trusted, 
who ate of my bread has lifted his heel against me, who's lifted his heel against me. It was a reference to a person who turned the horse of the owner, um, the, turning a horse against his own owner, his own master, and having his own horse kick him in the face. That's what that meant, uh, that, that, uh, that phrase, uh, has lifted up his heel against me. So the kiss was to model for you how and you and I can respond. It was to fulfill scripture. And then the kiss was also to encourage you and me, to encourage us to endure similar hardships um, uh, in the face of betrayals because you and I will be betrayed. And you and I, I pray, um, uh, you, you and I can be that person that betrays somebody willingly or unwittingly. You and I, because we're human, because we're soft spiritually, uh, because that's our nature to betray each other and betray God as well. Um, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss is what Jesus' response. You know what Jesus says in, in uh, Mark chapter 14? He says that for the person that betrays the Son of Man, it was better for him not to be born. So it's better never born, better never born than forever in hell. Uh, better never born than forever in hell. I want you to think that a, a bit because uh, unless lest you take your life for granted, your salvation lightly, your opportunity to walk with God and make a difference and, and develop spiritual uh, uh, adroitness and dexterity and strength and uh, identity for you to know who you are and where God has placed you. What's your role because if you don't embrace the purpose, the salvation that God gives you and offers you through just the spirit of, of faith, of faith in Christ Jesus, uh, for those that do not know Christ, for those that reject Christ, for those that who betray uh, the invitation that God has for salvation, eternal salvation, Jesus says this, it is better for that person never to have been born, uh, uh, in essence, for that person better not to have been born than to live for the rest of eternity in hell. Like Judas, the sad and tragic truth is that many of us um, can have or can experience eternal life, purpose in Christ, but miss it completely. I wanna say that again. Like Judas, the possibility that a lot of us can, can decide to walk in the fullness of life, embrace the purpose that God has, that Christ has for your life, or through just self-deception, now, I want to ask you a question. Did Judas deceive Christ or did, he deceive, or did he deceive himself? I want to say that again. Did Judas deceive God or Christ or did at the end, did he deceive himself? Do you know the answer to that is that he ended, he really deceived himself thinking that there was some kind of play, some kind of program, some kind of possibility where you can betray God and not betray yourself where you could not do what God has asked you, uh, purposed your life, why you were born, and that, there, that somehow there's a sliver of possibility that you can do, that you can do your will and not God's will, and that that somehow is gonna work out for you uh, or well for you. And you know and I know the answer to that. Um, what if I told you that there was, in, uh, there was a Judas in each, in each one of us? I'll say that again. What if I told you today, this morning, that there's a Judas uh, in, in each one of us, the capacity uh, to just go along to get along, to be disingenuous, to go, turn, to, to become more fake as time unfolds, more phony, uh, to wear a mask and then ultimately betray your soul, betray your soul in so doing. Uh, Judas Iscariot, 
uh, with just the mere mention of his name, elicits all sorts of negative and, dim, and dark emotions because Judas is the ultimate symbol of betrayal and deception. Uh, he's the original Benedict Arnold, if you will. Um, here's some thoughts that I want to just share with you that Judas was not an innocent bystander, that, uh, ju that Judas was not a victim. Judas was not a victim. The Luke chapter 22, like verse 3, it says that Satan entered Judas. That Satan entered Judas. I want to say that you are the captain of your soul. That no spirit, no demon, no Satan can enter you unless you open the door. Uh, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you walk in company with Christ and, and in company with saints, that you have a shield, you have a protection, that only you can surrender you. Only you can give up you. Only you can take actions to betray your own soul. Judas was not a victim, nor was he an innocent bystander. He had both say and sway in the matter because Satan has no power uh, only where a man's sinful passions hold sway. Uh, yes, scripture uh, tells us that Satan entered, but he entered because the Bible says in verse 6, uh, Luke 22, that Judas consented. Judas consented. It says, uh, scripture tells us that Judas consented and he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them, to the priests and to the teachers of the law when no crowd was present because they were afraid of what the crowd could do to them. I want to uh, use this time here to kind of help you um, uh, just and myself look at some of the characteristics that Judas allowed to develop in his personality. Um, just the first one that Judas was a deceiver. Simply stated, he intentionally misrepresented who and what he really was. I want to say that again. Judas was a deceiver. That in the act of betrayal, he was, he was acting the deceiver, the playing the deceiver. He went to great lengths to hide his true self. His thoughts, his takes, his turns, his transitions were coldly calculated for maximum effect. So, uh, so much so that in, in one, um, that no one in all scripture other than Satan himself, even comes close to the conniving calculus and successfully sustaining uh, for three years uh, and a half, sustaining the facade that he was a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. It was a facade at the end of the day. He never called him Lord. He was a deceiver. Is there something in your heart? Is there something that you have allowed the enemy so that where you are pretending, projecting, to be to uh, something or someone that you're not at work, at home, in church. Uh, you've learned to camouflage. You learned to, to just, uh, put a mask on that looks like you, but it's not the real you. Uh, and then you become the, the opposite of you. Judas, secondly, was a, a master shapeshifter. I, I, I want you to sh see this with me. Up there, help me. He was a master shapeshifter, a master manipulator, uh, a disguise artist. Someone adept at, in the art of shape-shifting, camouflage, changing his appearance, his tone of voice, his mannerisms, in order to conceal his true identity. Uh, we'll see that real shortly in John chapter 12, where Mary was worshiping, weeping, uh, uh, pouring her heart and her perfume uh, on the feet of Jesus, and he just becomes uh, all of a sudden really spiritual, indignant, and looking at the price, at the, uh, the cost of that perfume, and he says, that perfume... Uh, could have been sold to the poor and it could have been given to the poor. It could have been sold for a high price and given as if, he, as if he cared for the poor. And John later on tells us that he did not care for the poor um, because he was 
a thief. He was a thief. Uh, so Judas was not just um, a deceiver and a shapeshifter. Like many, maybe some of us have learned how to just, all of a sudden you become into somebody else that moment when somebody is asking for accountability. Maybe, maybe a wife or a father or a dad or a mom is asking you, hey, let's talk. And all of a sudden you turn into somebody else. Uh, and, and that was Judas. He was a shapeshifter. Um, Judas was also a, a hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody who says something, stands for something, but at the end of the day, he really does not believe it. He acts like it, but he really doesn't believe it. No one but Jesus knew that, that Judas was a fake, a phony, and a fraud. An imposter who acted uh, as, though, as the ultimate Trojan uh, horse uh, to betray our Lord. Jesus knew what was in his heart all the time, and he still treated Judas with respect and with dignity. Um, um, and just like he does you, He's not going to out you in front of people. Jesus is not going to embarrass you. He's not going to humiliate you. That is your job. That is your responsibility to hear the word of God, to feel convicted, to feel conviction, and then to turn and repent from any hypocrisy, any deception, any shape-shifting ability that you've learned uh, to manipulate, to maneuver, to monopolize, because that's the way you were taught. Maybe somebody you knew uh, took into took different forms and different shapes, played the victim, uh, played the manipulator, uh, cried crocodile tears, got angry and boisterous when something was, someone was trying to maybe have a conversation to confront. See, Judas hypocr hypocr hypocritically uh, fiend righteous indignation when Mary poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Uh, why wasn't this perfume sold and given to the poor? He says, it was a year's wages. And look at just the indignation. Like people, maybe at church, like David, when, when David was confronted by Nathan and a parable was, was shared with David when he had actually killed Uriah and, had, and, and uh, had already had adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Bathsheba was pregnant with her baby. And David has the audacity of trying to fix things. He sends Uriah home, but Uriah is a righteous man. Uh, he says, I cannot go home and be and sleep with my wife when my men are out there uh, in, under tents uh, under a campaign of military campaign. Now look at that. And David was thinking, wow, what happened to my integrity? Look at this man's integrity. Refuses to go home uh, because his men were out there at a time of war. He says, how can I indulge? How can I go home and sleep in a warm bed and with my wife while, while my men are out there? He says, no. And he did that under stupor. Uh, David made sure he made him drunk to try and have him lose his senses. But when you have integrity, uh, you never lose your, your right of way. When you have integrity, you know what is right. Uh, even when you're uh, uh, Im imbibed and even when you're inebriated with some kind of uh, toxic effect from this world. By the way, this is good preaching. Um, but just maybe, maybe because it hurts too much. That may be because it hurts. Judas was a thief. Now, I'm not calling anyone a thief. I said Judas was a thief. A thief. Up there, help me. Thank you. You're there. Uh, so he said, watch John 12 says that, that he did not say this because he cared about the poor, Judas, but because he was a thief. A thief is somebody who subtracts something that belongs to somebody else, something who takes, somebody who denies somebody what belongs to somebody else, somebody who takes away something that is not theirs. And let me tell you something, it's very, very easy today and age to justify subtraction, to stay with something that belongs to somebody else, uh, something that does not belong to you when you're doing your calculations, 
when you're doing your operations, when you're at work, at home, at church, with God, with others, it is so easy, it is so easy to keep something that belongs to somebody else, to take something when nobody's watching at work or, or in any kind of scenario. And I'm telling you that these kind of, of character flaws can begin to evolve and then grow and then pretty soon you justify uh, your, the way you do accounting, the way you do your taxes, the way you uh, interact with others. Uh, just, just real quickly, two or three weeks ago, I was going through a drive-thru that they gave me more change. I knew it. And then, but the drive-thru was long. I, if you had to go, the, the restaurant was closed. And, and so I had to make a decision. Do I keep the extra change and justify it as a blessing from the Lord? Oh, well, their mistake, they're a big corporation. They'll survive. And so I just felt convicted immediately. I got back in line. 15 minutes later, 18 minutes later, I shared the receipt. I shared the, the change. And I felt I went home a winner. I went home blessed. Uh, I, I, I knew that I did the right thing because once you start slipping, once you start justifying, it'll become part of your character. It'll become part of what you do, part of who you are. Judas was a lover of money, not of Jesus. Judas was a lover of money, not of Jesus. Uh, here's the, the, I want to finish with this. Judas um, was sermon proof. At the end of the day, Judas was sermon proof. No amount of preaching, no amount of teaching. The power of God, the preaching of, of, of the words of Emmanuel, God with us, uh, that he proved to be unmoved and unimpressed by Jesus' teaching and preaching. And I believe that that could be the same for all of us that we get so used to, so accustomed, so just we, church is all, but, but so familiar that you and I become the sermon proof. Uh, you become, you, you uh, develop immunity, immunity to the presence and to the power and the preaching of God's word. Uh, Judas was ultimately unchanged by the supernatural. The next one, he was unchanged. Judas saw all kinds of miracles, signs, wonders, and miracles. Um, of all kinds of sorts in nature. The four miracles that should, have, that should transform the worst critic or cynic. Number one, Jesus walking on water, taking authority over the wind, over the waves, over nature. Just that should be enough to say, whoa, who is this? As a matter of fact, that's what the other apostle says. Who is this that even the wind, even the sea obeys him? He just, Jesus proved that he was Lord over nature. The second miracle is when Jesus healed the born, a man born blind in John chapter nine. Born blind. And Jesus did a creative miracle, took mud, um, just uh, put it on the man's eyes, had him, had him go wash. Uh, and then the man comes back seeing, 40 years of age, an adult uh, never had seen before. And Jesus did a creative miracle uh, number three, Jesus delivered a demon-possessed man from Gadara, from a legion of demons. Jesus proved not only that he was Lord over nature, Lord over the body or, or physical illnesses, but he was Lord over demons and the devil. Jesus could take authority and command devils and demons to flee. He has authority over demons. And then the, res the resurrection of Lazarus uh, from a man dead uh, four days buried, sealed in a grave for at least four days. And Jesus says to Lazarus, come forth, proving that he's Lord over death. He's the Lord over death. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Just those miracles should have been enough uh, to, to change Judas's mind and heart. 
See, Judas was giving Jesus some things. Up there, help me, yeah, but not everything. Maybe we're giving Jesus some things. Just, just enough, just enough something. But maybe you haven't given Jesus everything. Everything that belongs to him. Everything that he deserves. Your best worship, your best praise, your best life, your best time, uh, your best giving, your best gifts, your best talents. See, like Judas, he gave Jesus some things. He walked, he played the role, he, he, he spent the time but he did not give him everything. Judas was willing to go for the ride, get what he could, game the system, uh, go through the motions. But at the end of the day, no one can deceive Christ by just serving two masters. Every one of us will be known by our fruits at the end of the day. Uh, not by what we say or how we look on the outside, but what we, we do and whether we deliver, whether we believe, and whether we've surrendered everything. So you're either all in or you'll soon be out of luck and out the door. And that's the truth. Uh, lastly, Jesus called, uh, Judas called deep devotion and willful worship a waste. Uh, Judas called the worship, the weeping, the, just the, the sacrifice of Mary uh, in that one scene in John chapter 12. And he says, this is a waste. This is a waste of time. This is a waste of, of, of an act of worship. This is a waste of money. When somebody gives and pours their heart, their devotion, um, their giving to God, their money, uh, the Judas in you says, does it really need, does God really need my, my two cents worth? Does God really need me when there's other people? Uh, and then all of a sudden you begin to see and you begin to convince yourself that worshiping and giving and being devoted is a waste. Oh, that's Judas. That could be in our hearts. Mary took her very expensive perfume and broke it open and poured it on Jesus as an extravagant act of love, devotion, and worship. All Judas could see was the, a year's wages being utterly wasted instead of being laundered. He wanted that money to be laundered through and funneled into Jesus' treasury, which he happened to be personally in charge of. And I could see that most of us, that most of you are not moved by this message, so I'm gonna conclude it since it did not have any effect. Close, close your eyes. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Would you close your eyes? I didn't see anybody running in the pews or the hallways here, the, so the aisles. I didn't see anybody scream, praise God. And uh, for those of you that are online, we thank you for your just, just being with us, believing what God is doing, uh, being Jesus-centered. Be Jesus-centered. If your life is not right with God, it just takes you a moment to cry out to God and say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me of my sins. I repent. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. And he will, he will, he will. And then just serve him, serve him. Get connected uh, with a church. Get connected with a fellowship, uh, with a people that follow Christ and love him with all their heart. In Jesus' name, we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God bless. Thank you so very much for joining us today on the LifeHouse podcast. I pray and hope this message has encouraged, inspired, and challenged you to grow closer to God. If you would like to be a part of what God is doing here at LifeHouse, visit our website at LifeHouseChurch.com. That's LifeHouseChurch.com for more information or consider subscribing and share it with one of your friends and family. Thank you again for being part of our journey, your journey, that will lead you to know God better, grow together, and go serve and make a difference. Thank you again. God bless you. See you next time.